Hey, marketing executives. Ever thought of a revamp in your B2B designs? Dreamt of launching your own company podcast? Choose Stories Bureau. We master in innovative branding, compelling videos, and podcast production. Don't just market, tell your story. Let's get started at storiesbureau.com. Hey everyone, we're so glad you're here. I'm Elisa Monjadas. I'm a marketing leader and executive coach. I'm Courtney Copeland, and I'm an accountability and wellness coach. And I'm Dr. Murari Simeon, an activator of talent, HR executive, author, and working mom. If you're anything like the successful multicultural women we interview on the What Rules podcast, you've learned that you can't do it alone. And we teach women like yourself to outsmart the game to get ahead in your career. We're really talking about those rules that we grew up with as women and expectations that have been placed on us. Our mission is to change the face of leadership at What Rules Podcast. As you listen to our talented guests, take note and take action. Go ahead, go and break those rules. I was reflecting on this moment in my fitness journey when I was able to do a pull-up for the first time. I can't even do a pull-up, so <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in listening. Well, I didn't think I could at all. I was just messing around in the gym. One of my friends said, why don't you try to do a pull-up? And I looked at them confidently and I said, I can't. Like, my body isn't capable of this. And I just try. And I did it as a joke. And then I was up and my chin was above the bar. And I was like, how did I get up here? It was this reminder of wow, I got here because I kept getting up every time I would fall in previous workouts and challenging moments in life, whatever it was. Mm. So when you're taking care of yourself, your body, your mind, what does it do for you on a day-to-day? I left corporate America, what, about three, four months ago, but it's still something that I do. I still wake, wake up early to work out because I find that when I don't, like the day just doesn't go the same. So working out is something that I do typically five days a week. Wow. And I've been exercising my whole life. I still weigh weight weigh in high school. I also use it around the whole discipline mm-hmm. piece, you know, for, mm. for a period of time, especially when I was working. I don't anymore, but when I was working, every year I'd pick a fitness mm. goal. So one year my goal was to be able to do three pull-ups because I couldn't. I think, I think it was in my early 50s. And what I do with my fitness goals is I tell everybody what they are. Because that keeps me on task. I don't want to get to the end of the year when they say, oh, Shelly, how'd you do with that? And I'm like, oh, no, didn't do it. I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm like way too competitive for that. So by setting goals, it just gave me a way to keep my fitness routine fresh because you have to do different exercises to strengthen and create different capabilities. So yeah, I'm a big believer in exercise. I think it helps not just feel physically better and stronger, but frankly, mentally too. I just find it makes me more mentally alert. I love the idea of setting different goals. I was running half marathons every few years, but my knees don't like that anymore. So I need a different goal. I never thought about setting a goal for pull-ups, but I love it. I, I love it. Hi, I'm Shelley Archambault, Fortune 500 board director, former CEO, and author of Unapologetically Ambitious. I am a tall black female. 
I've spent my entire career in technology. Nice. So started my career with IBM, 14 years running operations in the U.S. and overseas, and then worked my way towards Silicon Valley, where I finally got the opportunity to go after my goal, which was to become a CEO. I was CEO of MetricStream for 15 years, grew it into a global market leader in governance, risk, and compliance with an amazing team. Passed that baton a few years back, and now the hats I wear, I sit on Fortune 500 boards. I advise companies, universities. I coach CEOs or people who are CEO successors. And I try to inspire and impact every opportunity I have. I'm in what I refer to phase two. So if it's not something that's inspiring or impacting, then I'm probably not doing it right now. Oh my God, you're so accomplished. And I just love how, uh, how you said that. And one thing I heard is goals, right? Oh, so yes. we'll ask more about that. But wow, your goal was to become a CEO and you accomplished that. So I want to hear a little bit more about that. But can you tell us to accomplish everything that you have? Because it is just amazing. And wow, such a role model to women like us and multicultural women that are listening. What is that one rule that you broke into get ahead in your career? I mixed business and pleasure. You know, mm. early on, they say, don't mix business and pleasure, you know, keep your lives separate. I'm a big believer in what I call work-life integration. Love that. Because I'm one person. I mean, we wear all these hats. And oh, by the way, I didn't even cover the personal hats, right? So I was a, I was a wife for almost 35 years until my late husband mm -hmm. passed away. Uh -huh. I am a mother of two uh, and a Mimi of three. I have three grandchildren. Uh -huh. So lots of, lots of different hats on that end too. And when you look at it, the only way I was able to get it done is by having amazing support and by integrating my life across my factions because there's only so much time you have. So I tried to integrate life. So if I met people in my work routine that I actually liked and enjoyed, and I was okay in terms of building mm -hmm. friendships. And if I could be helpful with people personally as related to work, et cetera, I did that too. I'm a big believer that time is precious and it is our actually our most valuable resource. So whenever I could do multiple things at the same time, I, I do that. What advice would you give to somebody who is still kind of in that, oh, I'm afraid to mix business with pleasure um, kind of culture? Yeah. You know, what I tell them is it's not that you have to have everything all integrated, but you will meet people along the way. And I think for me, it started as uh, self-preservation in a certain <laughs> respect because I was working for IBM, but I moved all the time. We were mm. moving all the time. And so therefore, the people that you knew, the continuity, were coworkers, right? They were, and so they also became friends as you got to know them over time and got to know their families and things like that. So what I'd say is don't be afraid of it, right? Don't, don't mm. force something. This is not about forcing, but it is about don't be afraid of it. Because you will spend, for those that are building careers, you will spend a lot of your time doing things that are very work-related. And therefore, it's perfectly natural to develop relationships that become not just business, but also personal. I feel like this timing is impeccable. I don't know what it's been in the past week, but God has been giving me so many winks and reminders and like, you know, when you keep receiving the same message, like over and over from different, whether it's a resource or a person, whatever, this is one of those moments. 
Um, I was just last night talking about how important it is in your career, when you're making a career transition, whatever it is, to feel like you're moving as one whole person and to not separate your career from the rest of your life. Obviously, there are times you're taking hats on and off, but I talk to people every day in career transition. That's my job. I do it every day. And you got to move with harmony. And I love hearing you talk about this. I just wrote a note, work-life integration. I've never called it that, but I love that. But my question for you is, obviously you've done it for a long time. Why do you think it's challenging for some people to achieve? Because I know a lot of people who want to do it, but struggle. I think we're told so much. It's all about work-life balance. And frankly... I don't like that term at all, work-life yeah. balance. I mean, what is a balance, <laughs> right? A balance is a fixed structure, right? Think, think about it. In your head, it's a fixed structure. You've got to pull up the center, a bar across the top, and you have two weights on both sides that in order to be in balance have to be equal at all times, right? Equal. Equal but separate. And oh, by the way, static. Well, I don't know about you guys, but my life is not static, I don't know anyone's life who is static. And so suddenly I'm going to have this frame in my mind of a work-life balance, separate static. And if I'm not doing that, then somehow I'm not being successful. There's enough in this world that judges and makes me feel guilty, right? I, I don't need this like, you know, balance thing. So that's why I really just got rid of the whole work-life balance notion. It's not about balancing your life. It's really about integrating your life. I believe it's about putting together your priorities professional priorities, personal priorities, but you put them together and then you reprioritize ruthlessly so that you get done what's important across your life, right? Across your life. Because we only have one head. I mean, we wear all these hats, but it's only one head. <laughs> so we have to figure out how to go get that point. done. <laughs> As you were talking, I was thinking, when has either my personal life or work, just even alone, been balanced. <laughs> I mean, that's unrealistic. Yeah. I don't ever think my personal life has been balanced and neither has the work. So to your point, integrating it, gosh, you see, this is something I wish I knew a long time ago because it would have really helped me for years. I myself kept it separate and it was so difficult to do. And I really think it's powerful. So thank you for sharing that. It's really powerful. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I have a whole chapter on it in the, in the book I wrote, <laughs> Unapologetically yes. Ambitious, because I do think it's important. And when people say, well, what does that look like? What it looks like is at work, if I, didn't, if I had a meeting, but there weren't any presentations to be seen, right, or spreadsheets to look at, I'd say, well, let's do a walk and talk, one-on-ones. Mm. Let's, let's go for a walk and talk about whatever it is we need to talk about. Why? Well, I have the meeting but I need some exercise too, right? A lot, go, lot going on. And so that's, you know, that's an example. If I'm going to see a play or a show, which I love the performing arts, no reason to go do it alone. I might as well invite, you know, 10 or 12 folks to go with me. Because why? Well, I'm going to yeah. go anyway. And this gives me a chance to see people, to connect. You do a dinner beforehand, right? Wonderful. But it was no extra time, yeah. and you mm. got a chance to do all the things that you're interested in. So there are many ways to actually integrate if you step back and just think about it. And practical, yeah. too. I mean, what yes. you're saying is easy to do. <laughs> 
it's something I want to do, something I like or something I need, we can do work at the same time. Exactly. Shelly, we're really big on finding mentors and it goes with our theme, don't do it alone. But you have a different take on how to get a mentor. You don't believe in asking someone to be your mentor. Instead, you say adopt them. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I do. I had an experience very early in my career. I was with IBM and IBM decided that people who had high potential should have mentors. Mm -hmm. But they thought, let's do it differently. And so they actually asked us, I happen to be one of those people, said, well, who would you like your mentor to be within the company? And I thought about it and I picked a guy. He was a couple levels above me. I knew him. I thought he liked me. Put his name down. His name was Roland. Well, Roland calls me up several days later and says, Shelly, you put my name down to be your mentor. And I said, well, yeah, Roland, I, I thought she liked me. And he said, Shelly, you've got me. Go get somebody else. And I was like, What? So I learned a couple things. I had no idea that Roland considered himself a mentor, which meant this whole mentor-mentee thing, it doesn't have to be formal. And second, even though he considered himself a mentor, he told me to go get someone else, which meant I could have as many as I wanted. So, okay, hence the, let me go forward and get more mentors. And what I learned is if you ask people, I started asking, will you be my mentor? And eyes would get big. People would literally sit back. You could tell they were trying to figure out how to exit the room, (laughs) right? And it's not because they don't like me, but people are busy. So I just started treating people like mentors. I just started treating them like it. You know, you ask a really simple question, something that doesn't take a moment for them to think about it. I might have seen, oh, Courtney, you gave such an amazing presentation last time at the last meeting. I have one coming up in a couple of weeks. I would love two tips. Well, that's easy. You don't have to think about it. Well, look people in the eye, add some humor, right? Whatever it might be. You might offer some tips. Here's the key. Now I need to go take your advice. You gave me the tips. Let me take them. And then report back. Hey, Courtney, I gave my presentation. That was one of the better ones I've ever done. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts with me. Now, frankly, Courtney, you may not even remember the conversation because you didn't have to think about it. I mean, it was less quick. It was a flyby conversation. But now that I responded back, you're thinking, wow, hey, I feel pretty good. I helped this young woman out, right? Yeah. So uh, Maya Angelou, right? I'm not going to quote it right, but people won't remember what you say. They won't remember what you do. They'll remember how you make them feel. So the key to adopting mentors is to make sure that they know how they're impacting you because that's what they get out of it, right? That's what they get out of it. And if you do that often enough, before you know it, especially if you do well, they'll claim you a little bit. People say, hey, did you see Shelly give that presentation? Oh, well, you know, I give her advice from time to time. (laughs) Right? People want to take credit. Fine. Let them take as much credit as they want. And then you earn the right to ask a little deeper question, a little deeper question. But don't make your first question, what should I do with my career? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. No. Right? They will run for the hills because there's too much time that has to be invested. And they're not confident yet that, frankly, you're worth investing in, which is fair. That is so fair. So there's a new term to our listeners, right? Because a lot of companies, and we've seen this and go back to the research, they have formal mentoring programs. But I love this. And this is giving permissibility to all of our listeners. Go and adopt a mentor. You don't have to wait for your organization to select you to be part of a program. You can actually own your career and not do it alone by 
adopting a mentor versus waiting for somebody to do that for you, to assign one for you. So this Absolutely. is great. And you're not limited to one. Yeah. I've had a ton of them over my career. Shelly, hearing you say that, I just, I'm smiling so much because now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, I actually, I have been adopting mentors and I never realized it until this moment. <laughs> and what I just, <laughs> what I hear in that is build organic relationships and be very genuine. Mm-hmm. I relate a lot of building work or professional relationships to our day-to-day normal friendships or even dating relationships, you wouldn't come right out the gate and be like, hey, I want to be your friend. Will you be my friend? Like (laughs) someone would be like, um, (laughs) that's a lot of pressure, (laughs) you know? Exactly. (laughs) But if it's organic and it builds over time and you just naturally have the same interest and you ask questions because you genuinely care about someone's opinion, that feels really flattering and empowering and uplifting. And then next thing you know, you're going to have that mentor-mentee relationship without it being this awkward, like, will you please do this for me? (laughs) Earlier, you talked about goals, right? Whether they were personal or professional. And one of my goals is to get on a corporate board. And just recently, I saw that 5050 Women on Boards released their 2023 Gender Diversity Index report. And it highlighted that 29% of the Russell 3000 paid corporate board seats are, are held by women. Now, you have accomplished this, and we know that having a seat at the table is critical. And currently, you sit in several boards, I believe Verizon, Okta, and Rumper Technologies. So I want to understand, and I'm sure the listeners do as well, how'd you land these paid boards? Mm. So I believe in setting goals, as we talked about earlier. And frankly, I didn't even know about boards. And what I mean by that is I knew that there was a board of directors, but I really didn't know what they did or function or anything really until about my early to mid thirties. And at that point I was already striving to be a CEO. That's what Mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And then I realized, wait, board of directors, they hire and fire the CEO. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want that job too. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I mean, I didn't know what that was about. So I did what I usually do. Whenever I set a goal, I ask myself, what has to be true for me to achieve that goal? Mm. Because usually I have no idea. I have no idea what has to be true, which means I have to go do the research. I call it doing the homework. You know, homework doesn't stop in school. Homework is just being prepared for whatever it is you're trying to do. So first question, what has to be true? Well, I went and did my research. Who were these boards of directors? Who were the people? What kind of jobs did they have? What were their backgrounds? What were the skill sets boards looked for? And one of the things that I realized quickly, and this is back then, I mean, this is now we're talking in the 90s, it was they wanted people with board experience. And I'm like, wait a minute, they want people with board experience, but how do you get the board experience, (laughs) right? Yes. So I realized that, okay, if I want to serve on boards as part of my overall career plan, then I need to figure out how to get on my first board soon so that I can build up this experience. So what does it take? 
And then it was looking at what skill sets. So I looked at the skill sets, the background. Good news for me is being a CEO was something that was a valued skill set. Technology was a valued skill set. I'd done a lot of transformation, growth-oriented things. That was a skill set. And as I looked at what else I needed to do, as I was with IBM, et cetera, international, I realized, okay, here are all the things that could help me when I'm ready to compete for a board seat. And then once I got the CEO job and got my arms around it, I then said, okay, I'm now ready. So I put together my 30-second speech on why somebody should want me for a board, what my skill sets, and then I told everybody, everybody, that I wanted to serve on a board. Mm. And I got a chance to get introduced to executive recruiters. I talked to people who were in and around boards. You know, lawyers sit on board. A lot of people are in and around boardrooms that aren't actually board members that hear about opportunities. So part of it is just letting people know. And my first board seat actually came through an executive recruiter. And I got my first board. I was 42 or 43 when I got on my first public paid board. Mm. What? impact did you want to have sitting on a board? Mm. Honestly, my first priority in sitting on a board was to become a better CEO. Mm. Mm. I wanted to understand the dynamic from that side of the table because I had my own board of directors that I was working with. And let me tell you, it does. It gives you really good insight. I think all CEOs should sit on another board because it does give you an understanding of the perspective, background, et cetera, and I think it makes you better. So that was number one. Number two was I wanted to help and assist, frankly, a company in a different role with their overall success. And overall success to me is everything from the strategy they've got, because what you want with companies, what shareholders want is want to make sure, number one, you've got the right strategy to go win in the marketplace and deliver good returns, right? Well, if you've got a good strategy, that's only helpful if you have the right team to execute, deliver on the strategy. So then it's working with boards on, do we have the right team, right? The right leadership, right team, right background, right skill sets, right? All those things. And then are we executing in a way that ensures that we are being good corporate citizens, that we're meeting all rules, regulations, and requirements, that we have good employee dynamics, partner dynamics, yeah. right? all those things. So that was really what I was, what I was looking for. Thank you for sharing that. So what I got is I wrote it down, right? What is true? <laughs> so, and then go do that research and then tell everyone at mm -hmm. the end of the day. So I loved your question, Courtney, because that's also something to think about is, well, what impact do I want to have, yeah. right, at the end of the day once I, I get on a board? Absolutely. So. Because these, these roles are competitive, right? They are very competitive. So you are competing with others in terms of what it is that you bring. Yeah. So when we talk about the questions, what has to be true, do the research, then once you've done that, then you have to ask yourself, okay, how do I make that true for me? Ooh. How do I make it true for me? Right? So yeah. are there skill sets that I need to build? Are, is there an experience I need to have? Are there relationships I need to create? Right? How do I make it true for me? And that becomes your plan. So now you've got a plan that you can go execute against. Yes. If one of the things that I'm a big believer in is just being intentional about what you're doing. By being intentional, you improve your odds that you will actually achieve what you're trying to achieve. Another God wink. The language you're using is so specific. 
to, I just, I can't even, I can't even get into it right now. So I'm just happy you're here. I want to take a pause and say like, I'm so happy you're here. I've been loving this conversation and it's, it's very inspiring for me on another end as someone who's still growing in their career. Um, you've just accomplished so much and I really respect and admire how intentional you have moved through this. And that's one of the things I was going to say to you before you started talking about intentionality. Um, and so an honest question You're such an amazing leader, yet imposter syndrome is very real and it can still sneak up on all of us, right? And in your position, I'm curious, as much as you've accomplished and as successful as you are, it's still a natural feeling. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Oh, yes. I've suffered from imposter syndrome my entire life. (laughs) And you're right, Courtney, from time to time I still do, which is frankly ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So how do I deal with it? Well, first of all, let me define it just to make sure we're talking about the same Mm -hmm. thing. I'm talking about that little voice, that little voice that when you get offered something new, get invited into a new group, asked to speak, offered a new set of responsibilities, it's that little voice that kind of creeps up into your head and says, wait till they figure out you're not as smart as they think you are. Wait till they realize that you don't have all the skills that you need to have for this job, right? Wait, you're going to fail. Just wait. It's that voice that just basically tearing down all your confidence, right? All those things. Well, if you think about it, and studies actually show this, just about everybody suffers from imposter syndrome at some point or another. So what does that mean? Yeah. It means it's not you. It's not you. If just about everybody suffers from it, it's kind of in the air right? It's like, it's like television, right? Comes across the airwaves. We all get it in our living rooms, but it's all comes across the airwaves. Well, if everybody's feeling it, then it's not you. It's not real. It's just like TV. When something gets really scary, right? What do we do? We turn that thing off. We turn it off. This voice that you're hearing that's trying to stop you from doing whatever it is, turn that baby off. And if that doesn't work, realize that the only time you feel it is when you're facing something new. Yeah. Well, guess what? In order to be facing something new, somebody has to believe in you. They believe you deserve the promotion. They believe you should be part of the group. They believe you should be on stage. So if you can't believe in yourself, believe them when they're showing you that they believe in you. And if that doesn't work, if that doesn't work, then fake the confidence. Fake the confidence. Because if you think about it, If you really think about it, you always figure it out. Eventually, you figure it out. So give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Okay, I may not know it all now, but I'm going to figure it out because I've figured it out every time. So I'm going to give myself the benefit of the doubt and walk in like I know what I'm doing. That doesn't mean fake knowledge. I'm just saying fake the confidence. And if that still doesn't work, if you're still not able to take the job or join the group or walk on stage, go get your cheerleaders. And when I say cheerleaders, I mean cheerleaders. I mean, go, go, Dr. Mariah, you've got this girl, right? Courtney, you know you've done this before. Of course you could be successful. I mean, cheerleaders, because listen, we all need them. There's so much in this world that judges us and tears us down. We need cheerleaders in our lives who build us up. I've had cheerleaders all throughout because life is hard. They don't tell us this. (laughs) 
They don't tell us this, but it's hard. It's hard, which is why you need help, right? The whole theme of this podcast. It's all about taking help, using help, right? To be able to do the things that you want to do because no one accomplishes anything of significance all by themselves. No one. Yeah. And if they tell you they did, they're lying to you. Nobody does. So you're not going to be the first one. We could do a whole podcast on this, but for the listeners, you <laughs> talked about it early, Shelley, about your book. And I just I just started oh. reading it, right? So it's a celebration of women knowing their power. Like that's how it starts. And <laughs> unapologetic, ambitious. And there's a whole chapter and some questions that I started looking at, being aware of imposter syndrome. So we'll put it on the show notes and recommend for people to to read it. I mean, if you're enjoying this conversation, which I am, and I can't wait to keep reading this book. So so thank you for sharing that. And we'll make sure that the listeners get a link to this. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Hearing you say that as well, like my takeaway that I wrote down is imposter syndrome is actually an opportunity to own your power, which is one of our themes too. And I've never really thought about it that way. So thank you. Absolutely. One of the things that we're keen on in, in this podcast is equipping leaders who want to advance multicultural women. So we absolutely focus on advancing multicultural women, but we leave, believe that we don't need to do it alone. So my question to you is, how can a leader who's in a position of power help advance multicultural women intentionally in the workplace? Mm. One of the things in the boardrooms that I sit in, when I have the opportunity to talk to executives, et cetera, that I talk about is I think every CEO should ask their leaders to sponsor, notice I use the word sponsor, not mentor, to sponsor two people who don't look like them. When you do that, then it gives people a chance to actually, number one, find the talent, which is there within the organization. Two, actually get to know and understand some of the dynamics that are unique and specific to folks from different backgrounds, but especially for women and women of color. Because many times people just aren't aware of some of the challenges, issues, what have you. But when you start actually working with someone and you truly get to know them, you actually build that learning. So one is that. Two is be intentional about making sure you're actually drawing them into the conversation, drawing mm -hmm. them into the room, drawing them into right the dynamic. So if you're having a meeting or a conversation and someone is sitting at the table, might be a woman of color, right? And they haven't said anything yet. Don't just assume they have nothing to say. Ask them, give them the opportunity. Because some as a result of a lot of different things, can be how you're raised, can be background, can be culture, whatever, are just not as comfortable pushing in to a conversation and pushing into a dynamic. So taking the opportunity to actually invite, right, and to encourage can also help. Hmm. And then this third thing is please, 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 please give them feedback. Listen, studies show that women... And especially women of color, we, men are very uncomfortable giving us feedback. And so therefore, we tend not to get all the feedback that we need to grow and develop. 
which is unfair. So we're not even given the chance. You know, I was in a, <laughs> I was in a boardroom once and we were talking about succession planning, but there was a person not on the succession plan that I thought should be for the CFO's role. And it was like, hmm. So I asked the question, why isn't so-and-so on this list? And you could see the management looking at each other and said, oh, well, it's just not polished, just that, you know, just doesn't have the, the stature. They used all these like descriptive general kinds of words. And I said, okay, has anybody told her that? Hmm. Nope. Nope. Not a one. Well, you can't fix something that you don't know needs fixing. That's yeah. right. Right? So that's one of the things that it's huge. Just please give people feedback. Give them the chance yeah. to actually grow and develop to their full capability. I love that. And it's so important, especially because without it, they may continue to do this mm-hmm. because they're not, they may not be aware. And it is so critical. And you know this better than I do. The research shows it, right? Multicultural women do not receive the feedback. I mean, women overall. And then when you add yes. the multicultural women, it's another addition. So two things I would say is multicultural women, make sure that you're asking for that specific mm-hmm. feedback. But if you're a leader in a position of power who wants to help advance multicultural women, provide that feedback in a way that she can be successful. So thank you exactly. for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I have one last question. So shifting gears a bit to... We had a guest, Ter Suzuki from EY, and she introduces herself with her mission statement, not her title. You also suggest that we don't use our titles, so what should we say instead? (laughs) It's true. The reason I don't like us just using our titles is as much as we fight for and strive for titles, they're almost meaningless. They're almost meaningless because I could introduce myself. Oh, I'm Shelley Archambault. I'm the director of operations for XYZ. Mm. Courtney, do you have any idea what I do? Do you have any idea? No. <laughs> no. No. No idea of skill set, no idea of industry, no idea. Nothing. And even titles company to company mean different things. And even within the same company, a title can mean something different in a different group or department, et cetera. So I think it's important to actually tell people what you yeah. do. So Instead of saying, I'm the director of operations, what you might say is, right, you can still say, I'm the director of operations. I'm responsible for the supply chain for the Western region of our blah, 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 blah division. Well, now, do you know what I do? Yep. Okay. Western region. So I've actually managed scale supply chain. I know what industry and skill sets. Now, why is that important? Because Dr. Murray may hear of an opportunity where they're looking for someone who has supply chain operations skill, right? At scale. Well, she'll think of me. If all I told her when I met her was Mm. I'm director of operations, she's not thinking of me. All right. So it's really important that we actually let people know more than just our title, but what our skill sets is, what we're capable of. Now, again, this is not a long drawn out explanation. It's a 30 second, right? 30 seconds. Just figure out how to explain what you do. So you answer the question, but in a quick way that lets people know skill sets and capability. And that's so important because titles change all the time and an organization may have a different set of skills or job description on their specific titles. So I love that being able to actually say what your your skills are or what you're working on 
It's very helpful. I'm going to tr- start doing that today. I hope someone, if you're listening Good. to this and you see me on the street, please ask me, what do I do? <laughs> and I won't answer with my title. <laughs> I, I think that's so cool to say I'm responsible for. It's also way more empowering way to respond. Like it's taking ownership. It's saying I'm responsible for. It's saying I take action. I'm a leader in this way. Like I love that. I am responsible for it. No one asked me about my title anymore. No one. <laughs> <laughs> and usually they don't. They usually ask you, what do yeah. you do? We just tell people what our title is. True. That's such a good point. I have so many That's great true. nuggets from today. I cannot wait to listen to this episode again. This has been awesome. It's very obvious that you are a woman who leads by example. And I think it goes back to your foundation of work-life integration. Everything that you've shared goes back to that. Like you live, what is, what's the expression? You walk the talk. <laughs> you walk the talk. Yes. And that's what I, I try hard. Yeah. What, you, yeah. yeah. what you see is what you get with me for sure. Yeah. For sure. Want more advice on how to break the rules and outsmart the game to advance your career? Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, and our website, whatrulespodcast.com for more insight from our guests and hosts and join our community on LinkedIn where we discuss rule-breaking strategies for multicultural women. What Rules is a project of Zara Consulting and is supported by the amazing team at Stories Bureau. This episode was produced by Alexandra Uresta with editing and music supervision by Joshua Ramsey and was engineered and mixed by Tim Ballant. Our podcast cover was designed by Delion Creative. Visit whatrulespodcast.com for more info, upcoming events, and all episodes of What Rules, including video, and make sure to give us a follow.